Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello, listeners of Asian Bitches Down Under. Jababe. Thank you so much for your continued support throughout this super crazy year. We're really grateful for all your kind words and encouragements as well as the discussions that we had throughout the year. It had really helped us and also this podcast to gain a great exposure as our mission is to center the perspectives by the people who look like us, such as women of color and also people who are marginalized historically to the sideline of conversation. So if you haven't already, we encourage you to subscribe to our podcast on Acast, Apple, Google and Spotify. We also encourage engagement through our Facebook and Instagram platforms. We truly appreciate the support that you are really helping us to increase the visibility of different perspectives. Enjoy today's show. Hey all, it's Jessie. Hi, this is Helen. And you're listening to Asian Bitches Down Under. <laughs> I was gonna I was trying to say like you're listening to the summer edition of Asian Bitches Down Under. Oh that's a good star. Yeah. Summer edition. Yeah. Because it definitely feels like summer here in Sydney. Yeah, definitely. It's like I've got I've got like really bluebirds, bluebirds, and also yeah. cicadas. Oh, I'm so yeah. scared. Of so Helen lives in the um in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> it is the middle um, which, of nowhere. Yeah, yeah, Helen lives in the central coast of New South Wales, which is like about an hour and a half drive north of Sydney. Mm. I'm in Sydney. I'm in like the very middle of Sydney, oh, like Redfern. Metropolitan. Yeah, Sydney yeah. The cool side. Just kidding. Um, and no, I'm kidding, by the way. I, I've got to say, like, recently I've realised I'm very classist. <laughs> recently? Um, but, yeah. Well, like, I've just had, like, really awesome friends call me out on it. Like, uh-huh. for instance, last night, um, Billy and Carl and I were driving home from, um, we went out for burgers out okay. in the suburbs just yeah. as, a, like, a cool trip. Uh-huh. Um, and when we were coming home, um, this is like at around 11 o'clock at night there were like construction workers yeah. um, working on the side of the road and they were really good looking with beards like, like mm. a lot of good looking a lot, often the construction workers dudes are really like hot right <laughs> but then um, so we were staring at them and then I was like to, I was like yeah I was like talking to the boys and I was like uh, but they probably haven't read a book in their life and then one of them was like <laughs> so Jesus Christ Jesse too you are so fucking classist I was like yeah you sorry <laughs> But anyway, um, weather. Yes, it is getting very hot here in Sydney. Mm-hmm. Um, Helen says that for her, it's the bluebirds, and blue the bells, cicadas, and the cicadas. Yeah. yeah. Um, for me, um, what is it? It's the it's the um, humidity around your area. Humil- yeah, yeah. The, the the fan. You know, using the fan more mm-hmm. these days, going yeah. out and visiting the beach much more frequently. Yeah. We talk about beach every episode. Gosh, do we? Oh, that's so Sydney Almost. of us. Yeah. You know, I've been reading a really interesting book called um, the A Secret History, which mm-hmm. is um, the sub top the tagline is revealed by WikiLeaks exposés. It's um, basically a collection of essays about um, Julian Assange, WikiLeaks, and all that. Um, it's ten years since he has been detained. Mm-hmm. Um, cannot believe that. Uh, but um, they one essay is really great in that it talks about um, Melbourne and how Melbourne was the feeding ground and why Melbourne became the place where Julian Assange could do the work that he has done. Okay. And like it was so like the, the book. The rest of the book is. All right, I'll, I'll comment on it in my piece for the SMH um, in a few weeks' time. But I just wanted to say that that essay did go into detail about like the difference between Melbourne and Sydney and why mm-hmm. Melbourne is kind of like the hotbed for more kind of left-wing thinkers. Yes. And then I thought, like, because I'm always like, you know, you and I on our podcast, we're often thinking about, we're often talking about Sydney. And invariably, when you talk about Sydney, you have to use Melbourne as a comparison. And I'm so sick of the Melbourne-Sydney debate, you know, in the way Mm. that people are in the States are sick of the LA-New York debate. Mm -hmm. Um, But but I can't stop thinking about how there there is a reason why, um, you know, the best writers in Australia, um, Helen Garner, Christos Chalkers, are Melbournians. Yeah. So, what what's the reason? What do you, why do you think of that? Or what what was it from the essay that pinpoints the differences between two cities that you know they could produce better or more writers? Um, how just the history of Melbourne and the way in which politics has developed in Melbourne and its history and background 
like necessarily meant that a lot of um, sort of left wing people were drawn to that mm-hmm. space more. I also think that um, uh, the weather has a lot to do yeah, with it. You know, yeah, I um, agree too. I was going to talk about weather. We've yeah. talked about this so many times. Yeah, like there's something about um, being in Sydney, a place like Sydney, that just means that you are unlikely to think about things in a different way because just on account of how spectacularly mm-hmm. beautiful mm-hmm. the scenery is. I mean, Melbourne is perfect as well yeah. with the scenery, but I think with the weather-wise, um, yeah. we lived there about a year. This is our first year when we first arrived Australia. So we know the weather is very, very different between Melbourne and Sydney. I don't remember um, experience like yeah. very extreme heat waves. And I just remember Melbourne was very cold mm. most of the time. And it's drier. Mm, right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And there's kind of like, mm. the, the, I mean, mm-hmm. there's extreme weather of like you having, like, I think they, there's a quote for Melbourne amongst the Asian community saying that there's four seasons in one day for Melbourne. Yeah. Because, yeah. Just the weather in Melbourne. Yeah. 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 I think that's a pretty standard. I, I have grown to love Sydney. You've grown to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Meeting some interesting, yeah. There are good writers yeah, here in Sydney. Yeah. So um, Spotify have wrapped up for 2020. So I didn't know that Spotify have this kind of wrap up where they give you the algorithm. Yeah. So what was yeah. your top? Can you tell me what your top playing song was? What, what oh, was the song my you top song was the most often? Um, this New Zealand female singer. She's like a semi R&B pop. Uh-huh. Uh, her name is ben- Benny, I think. Mm-hmm. Benny or Benny, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's like a younger generation. Mm-hmm. It's not the the songs. It's not the type of music that I see the generation in my social circle will listen to. Yeah, so right. she's a bit like right. yep, kind yep, of yep. Uh, crossover with Tyler Sh- Swift and Lady Gaga. Her her lyrics are right, very good. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, cool. Well, yeah, I like, I like seeing that. Um, mm-hmm. what I had listened to the whole year, I'm surprised. I thought it was going to be like the Backstreet Boys, because <laughs> recently I've been listening to it a lot. Yeah. But no, uh, my top playing song were um, top. My top playing song was Chet Baker's, um, My Funny Valentine. Um, oh, And then the wow, rest of okay. the other stuff was like jazz. So the Thelonious Monk and Dave Brubeck and. Um, Miles Davis, early Miles Davis, um, John John Coltrane, Love mm-hmm. Supreme was yep. playing that album a lot, um, but yeah, jazz was mostly what my twenty twenty was filled with. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. jazz is the best music, like period. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so for the podcast, we have a wrap up as well. So we're happy to know that we have listeners from twenty eight countries. Which is That's fantastic. amazing. Yeah, yeah, twenty eight countries. Twenty eight countries. Yeah. yeah, it's you know our first year, and we are getting the numbers like that. It's really good to know. Yeah, and I think one yeah. of the things that you've been listening to a lot mm. the past few days would be that this one, Ocean of Love. <laughs> Ocean of from, Love. Yeah, I can't stop listening to this. <laughs> it's so funny. Mm. You know, I'll always be there. I found it funny that, um, not funny, but it's it's so good to know having um, K-pop infused into a kids animation. It's not it's not like a Korean production or a Japanese production, but it's a Netflix, you know, DreamWorks. We all know, but it's like a Western production. Right, right, yeah. yeah. So those of you who don't know, um, it's basically the song that um, features four narwhals who are dressed <laughs> up as, like, K-pop okay, singers. Yeah, yeah. And the one that I love is, like, <laughs> so cute. Yeah, this with is a the bucket head. Yeah, yeah, the bucket head. And, and like, um, he, he's wearing, like, a T-shirt with, like, a, some guy's face on it. It's just <laughs> adorable. It's I can't stop lis- listening and yeah. can't stop singing to the song, yeah. You, you, but you I don't it. actually watch the show. Helen, you love it, right? Yeah, you watch I it love with your it. Daughter. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned it on your Twitter, and which you got the response from the uh, did I? songwriter, I think. Raymond did I? Lee. What did he yeah, say? Yeah, you did. He's, I think he said, oh, I'm very honoured that you like this song and things like that. Yeah. Oh, that's so sweet. I just yeah. like tweet people randomly and then ignore them. <laughs> not not like intentionally. I just like, it's basically I write time. a love. You don't like I just l- write a, yeah, so um, metaphorically, um, I write a love letter to the people I love and then I just like don't check my mailbox. I don't see whether or not they respond because I, I'm not I'm not hoping to engage with them in on any level. I just wanna say, I love your work, goodbye. I don't mm-hmm. wanna like I, I don't, don't wanna need know an interaction. You kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Like I 
because you know i i just don't have emotional space for that like <laughs> and i also want all my relationships to be on a very real deep level like mm-hmm. i don't i don't want superficial you know mm. relationships and i feel like on twitter and social media i mean a it's lot a of people difficult. would disagree yeah would yeah. disagree with me but um i want my all my relationships to be like personal with meaning face to face when yeah. i can if i can yeah uh, obviously 2020 has been hard for that mm-hmm. um uh, but yeah um it's it's nice that you know they write back i have to say yeah. i i'm quite mean to people like people tweet at me and then i just like <laughs> I don't actually intentionally ignore people. People should know that. I, I literally check Twitter like once every two weeks. Seriously. <laughs> yeah. Or like I, hate twi- social I check. Media. I hate like, social yeah. media so desperately. Yeah. Yeah. I should have been born in 1920. Yeah. So for those listeners who knows that, Jesse is definitely not the one who handles our social media. Yeah. It's Helen. <laughs> Helen is all over that shit and she's so good at it. You, you don't like Helen, interacting yeah. on it. Yeah. You know, um, you know how your phone, iPhone, they tell you like an accumulative number of hours or minutes you have been on your phone, like social oh, media. Yeah, they divide yeah. it into yeah, social the media. screen time. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I was, I'm proud to say that last week my social media use was eight minutes. Wow. What about yours? I I don't know. I don't I don't check 40, on that. 40, yeah, probably 40, like forty hours or fucking yeah, yeah long time. That's a full time <laughs> job, mate. <laughs> Well, some people, some people job. do have full time job just operating oh on social God. media. I cannot yeah. believe what kind of existence yeah. that would involve. What well, marketing? I think oh, you'll have to have. God. Yeah. yeah. Um, I I found it interesting that they don't have romanticized um for that lyric because that song "Ocean of Love" that yeah. we just listened to it's partially well f- about eighty percent is in yeah is in Korean yeah so, I'm so it's not translated. Look, like I think it, it is, is translated, translated but yeah. there's no Roman size as in you can copy it was seen along with it phonetically. Right. Yeah. So uh-huh. But if, they don't actually translate the Korean. Oh they could translate the Korean into the English. Do they? Yeah, but oh, they don't have okay. the Roman size, you know. I, I do hope that if anyone's out there they can help us all just yeah, make it phonetically so we can copy the sounds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm finding yeah. it hard to learn. Korean singing yeah, it's, K-pop. It's not easy, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not easy at all, yeah. So, Helen, um, I have two, um, a movie and a book that I want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to start with you? What did you consume this week? Um, okay, so this week, uh, actually last night, we finished watching Love mm-hmm. on Spectrum, which is a, a ABC production, uh, but now it's joined on Netflix. I'm pretty sure that people around the mm-hmm. world can mm-hmm. watch it on Netflix. So it's like a documentary um, show. I think it's four or five episodes. can't remember now. So they follow the production follows a group of people on autism spectrum and helping them to mm-hmm. go on dates. We briefly mentioned it last week mm-hmm. on the episode mm-hmm. on disability. So sometimes that is, what do you call I don't, I don't really like to use the yeah. word normal yeah, because exactly. no one's really normal. Um, just a mainstream type of people regards um, social circumstances like going mm. out to make friends or going out to date will be yeah. very easy. But whereas for people who's on spectrum, it will be mm-hmm. difficult, extremely difficult mm-hmm. and very hard because they might have a, um, so-called like anxiety issues or sometimes they just um, don't know mm. how to function at certain social mm. scenarios like I found myself sometimes like that as well because when you don't have the same vibe or the same frequent wavelength yeah. with someone you don't know how to exactly, continue the yeah. conversation and sometimes it's yeah. awkward you know but for people on autism spectrum it's much much mm. harder because they have to just basically rehearse a lot of the script right. in their ha- head and go out and present those script and just trying to mm-hmm. work out and link the conversations together to like try to find out each other, find out each mm-hmm. other's interest, or try to even like the period of concentration. You know, like I don't know. Have you have you met anyone with autism on spectrum? Um, no, I have not. I when I was a teacher, I guess I had a few students who were um, diagnosed with autism. But um, you know, a f- eight eight year old mm-hmm. kid with autism is very different to an adult with autism. I have to say, yeah. Um, um, I am ashamed to say that uh, none, nobody in my close network of social friends has a um, mm. has been diagnosed with autism. Because mm-hmm. sometimes it's hard to diagnose, especially for girls. Apparently, with the studies that girls are 
they know how to yeah, mask yeah. themselves. Yeah. And you mentioned um, the other documentary was it called Employable Me, me wasn't it? Employable Me Australia. Employable yeah. Me, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that was a documentary that is um, on people on Spectrum as well. So with Love on Spectrum, um, I think it's just, um, it's very heartwarming seeing that they're coming out and having mm. support of uh, the society to help them to go, mm. go on dates and you can see you can really see mm. their struggles because some of them they would just get to it's like me I just feel like I can totally relate to it like they get to a conversation mm. and they're just stuck and their frustration is like a three-year-old mm. child like they just say that no I just can't continue because from other mainstream group of people they will think that yeah okay this is awkward I'll give you a smile and we'll just mm. like silence but they would need to literally remove themselves right. from the situation um, to just like kind of like mm. cool down and rearrange mm, right, their thoughts. Right. That's really fascinating. Yeah. yeah, it's really fascinating. And Did it make you cry? Yeah, it made me cry because they also interviewed mm. some of the people's parents and oh, yeah. there were two dads. Oh, I'm going to cry mm. now myself. There were yeah. two dads saying that they had their kids um most of these people are in their mid-20s or early 20s um they never have been on a date yeah, yeah. and because they feel like no one will ever love them because yeah. of this um diagnose and yeah. the two dads were saying that oh i i had my kids told me that oh they just want to be normal yeah yeah like they just want to be loved exactly that's what yeah that's I, what like just every human Essentially, just yeah, just wants to be loved. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But they they've been like ostracized and excluded because um, a lot of the conditions sometimes will trigger. Like, is a lot of people with spectrum autism on spectrum? They have super super sensitive sensory. Like, yeah, for us maybe like a walk in the park is fine, but for Mm -hmm. them could be very difficult. Like just the little bird sounds or like for what I just mentioned, you know, so the cicadas, the sounds that we can filter out if we've been in there for a while. But whereas people with spectrum, if they have high sensory issues with their listening, those sounds, they can just, it will probably freak them out. Uh Uh Yeah. One thing that I found really interesting is that they have like relation experts on the show helping them. To yeah. like kind of uh, put uh, imp- improve their skills when they go to dating, and there's actually a dating boot camp for uh, autism on spectrum. And are these <laughs> um, dating experts? Are they do they have a background with in autism? Yeah, the, yeah, the... yeah. They they've worked with um, okay. autism yeah. on spectrum, which is really good. I, I love seeing that the the boot camp for dating is so funny. The things they did, they talked about on at the camp, it's essentially, I feel like they have to have this kind yeah. of camp for normal cis heteros oh, yeah, exactly. as well. Because they, they have a like a, a pretending scenarios of a, a boy mm. and a girl talking mm-hmm. to each other. And the, the man just, the boy would just continue to talk about yeah. himself and he talked over yeah. the girl and the expert asked the, you know, the autism on spectrum um, people saying that oh do you did you see what's happening here what's yeah. wrong and they all put out put their hand up saying that oh yeah he was talking over her he just talked about yeah, himself yeah. no when i looked at that i was just thinking yeah geez you know a lot of men should <laughs> yeah. all those no- yeah all those like um people who don't have autism yeah should go and do those quote unquote normal guys <laughs> yeah it's just like um you know how when we spoke about polyamory mm. and you know how we were saying like the how polyamorous people seem to have their shit together. Mm. It's it's like a lot of the training and the cognitive thinking that they go through is something yeah, that exactly. a lot of like monogamous people should do. Should do and yeah, it's just like the ability true. the ability to communicate, right? The ability yeah. to know how to give someone space mm. to and make them feel comfortable in order to express their needs. Yeah. You know, a lot of these, like, I love that you're saying this, Helen, because it's almost like a lot of the ways in which heteronormative functionality, mm-hmm. operative norms in that, that, that operate in our society are kind of just, like, assumed by many mm-hmm. people, and yet, like, it's not 
but and yet the thing that's fucked up about the world is that a lot of people don't know it because we never explicitly teach these kind of things that's right to our students yeah like when we're in high school or primary school you know and so it it is such a valuable lesson to you know have shows like um love on the spectrum you know Mm -hmm. and see that a lot of those things are things that every single person can benefit from learning. Yeah, absolutely. Like what you said about assuming, those assumptions are made by people with power. Exactly. So they can take advantages of other people. Exactly. What I found really interesting and um, really glad to know that is um, most of these people on the show who are with um, autism on spectrum, their communication, when they talk to each other, they continuously... um, What's that word? Um, they continuously check in. Ask, yeah, check in on on the other person. Yeah. Like, am I making you uncomfortable, yeah. or is this okay? Yeah, and they know about consent. Yeah, I you know, love that. they talk about consent as well. I love that. Which far out, like you said, um, yeah. hetero normative, <laughs> normative people just. Yeah. just don't care. Well, because a lot of um, the way in which our society operates um, operates on the assumption that a lot of mm. things are hidden, mm. right? Sorry, I'm a bit yeah. distracted because, like, I have a huge pot plant in, on my desk about 30 centimetres <laughs> away, and there is a massive caterpillar just, like, Ew. stretching its okay. arm. I can't tell whether or not it's a caterpillar that I need to get rid of or if it's a caterpillar that's going to turn into a butterfly. So I'm just, like, looking at it. But anyway, okay, it's very beautiful. If it's not moving. Oh, it's moving. It's moving like you. crazy. Oh, it's moving away <laughs> from me, but I just want to make okay. sure that it doesn't, you know. Anyway, um, so sorry for my distraction. Mm. Um, what were we saying? Um, yeah, so we're finished up on the Love on Spectrum. Oh, we yeah, go so, on to no, your no, book I, want, and I wanted movie. to say, like, um, uh, yeah, um, I, like, it's almost like, you know, like good sex, right? Good sex mm, is when mm. some we, you constantly, like, not constantly, but you check in on the other person and you ask them, yeah, you know, yeah, am I making yeah, you feel all right? Yeah. Is this okay? Mm-hmm. You know, like, just... Yeah, that God, that caterpillar is going crazy. <laughs> I wish I could show listeners what I'm seeing right now. It's like a, it's like like twenty centimeters long. It's quite long, oh and it's my just like God. moving about like crazy on my flower. Are you sure it's like normal caterpillar? It's I not think like so. Centipede or no, it's, it doesn't have a lot of hair on it. It looks pretty okay. cute, actually. Okay. Um, yeah. So um, that's a good recommendation, Helen. People yes, go yes. and watch. People which will watch yeah. it, yeah. Um, so I went to see with my best friend um Billy uh last week. Uh we went to see Den at Dendi, uh The Happiest Season, which mm-hmm. is a movie starring Kristen Stewart, who is like mm-hmm. legit the hottest human being in the world. She is so <laughs> fucking beautiful, it's not funny. And in this movie she's also like just so stunningly beautiful. We both were like just thinking, God, she's the hottest woman in the world. A uh, person, not a woman. I just don't see uh-huh. her as a woman. I just see her as like embodying both genders and also no gender at all. Um yeah. so she plays in this rom com um with Mackenzie Davis and basically they're a couple and um, Mackenzie Davis invites Kristen Stewart back home to her parents and her parents, her dad is like a well-known politician and so she actually hasn't told her parents that she's gay and so mm. when she brings Kristen Stewart home for Christmas, they think that she's just their, her house, her housemate, uh-huh, roommate okay. and then so the movie tracks like their um, the five days uh, over Christmas and New Year's um, and sort of their, her, Mackenzie Davis's character coming out at the end of the movie. No spoilers. Obviously, that's, a, you know, it was expected. But, um, yeah, I cried a lot during the film. Um, mm. Billy, I don't, I didn't see, Billy was sitting next to me, but afterwards Billy was talking to um, afterwards our friends about it the following night and Billy was like yep. Jessie was just like streaming down her face just tears streaming down her face and I was like really oh I don't remember that but like I, I do you, how was he focusing on you yeah well Billy's like the kindest person ever like when you go uh-huh. to the movies he's just always like checking in on me like again the Aww. same checking in yeah. like are you okay mm-hmm. are you okay yeah. yeah like I just love him so much and um he yeah I was crying a lot and it was just so sad like it just you have to see it. It's such a beautiful film. Aww. Yeah, I can't. What? What? What's the particular trigger that oh. you think that made you emotional? Um, when 
there's a scene where, oh my God, why do we have to always cry on our podcast? You always make me cry. Okay. So there's a scene where um, Mackenzie Davis, uh, her sister, um, reveals to her parents that she's gay. And then Mackenzie mm-hmm. Davis and Kristen Stewart is standing in front of her. And Mackenzie Davis says, no, that's a lie. And that really made me cry, like that she would lie oh. in front of her parents to hide, like because she wants to be she loved by her parents, but also yeah. she loves Kristen Stewart, yeah. you know. And there's so many yeah. people go through that crazy, yeah, ridiculous, so heartbreaking, yeah. traumatic limbo of like wanting mm-hmm. to be loved by your family, but also knowing that your family don't necessarily accept you for the mm-hmm. person you love. It's like, oh my god, the world is fucked yeah, up. Yeah, it's so hard. The world is yeah, fucked I, up. I like the I like how you use the word limbo. It is exactly how those people will feel and also a lot of people who are in limbo between like for example two cultures. Yeah, and, exactly. You know, uh, between what you love or what you've been expected. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And um I just also want to mention my white hipster book club. Ha <laughs> <laughs> um, ha. They, they, someone in my white hipster book club um, picked uh, a book this month called Sorrow and Bliss by Meg Mason. Now, mm-hmm. this is a book I would not normally have picked up because I just don't like commercial fiction. Um, mm-hmm. And I have seen Meg Mason's name around and I just thought she's just like Leanne Moriarty. And I like mm-hmm. just... Yeah, no no comment on that author. Um, <laughs> yes, okay, she's brilliant. Um, no, she's not. <laughs> um, <laughs> but Meg Mason is actually a Sydney-based author, and this book had me bawling my eyes out literally every 10 minutes. Aww. It is so sad. Like, um, it just It's such a well-written book. It is extremely, mm. extremely... Um, um, ex- like consumable, like uh, I like uh-huh. ate it up like the way you eat um, brie cheese on a Sunday afternoon uh, mm-hmm. when you haven't had lunch. Um, it's uh-huh. it's a story about a woman who has just at the beginning of the book she's broken up with her husband, and then the rest of the book you find out about her mysterious unnamed mental illness. Um, mm. I won't give away any um, plot points, um, but it is an ex- like one of my favorite books of the year. Seriously, it is just oh wow. Well, because like okay. um, the way I measure whether or not a book is good is how it makes me feel, and this book made mm-hmm. me feel so sad. And for me, the metric for good literature or good art is whether or not I cry. Cry? And, yeah, I know. Yeah. We mentioned it before. Yeah, it's the yeah. same with me. Yeah. And um, I cried so much in this book. Like I had to put Aww. it down. Like I mentioned this at my white hipster book club. Um, I said that um, that I had to put it down midway through the book because I was so sad. And what I do when I get really sad is I go and clean the house. Mm. Like I become this domestic oh, okay. goddess. Distract yourself. Yeah. And um, what I ha- what happened was that I started cleaning in parts of the house that I have never actually ventured into. So there were parts of like <laughs> an, an addict, okay. a, a hidden addict that I've never seen before. There were like parts wow. of like an un, the, under the staircase. There were parts under the staircase uh-huh. and boxes I had yeah. never come across that I discovered. And like uh-huh. I realized that's what Meg Mason made me feel. Like she made me feel through her writing in this book parts of my own body that I had never mm-hmm. thought existed. Like mm-hmm. I related to the central character um, – who's a white woman with depression um, in mm-hmm. ways that I never thought that I could relate to someone. And I just think that is mm. like the measure of a, that's like the indication of a really great writer when they can make you feel things that you didn't think exactly. possible. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's true. And like, yeah, I'm just, I, I mean, I'm the only book club I'm part of is this white hipster book club and I'm not dissing it. I love the people in the white hipster book club. It's just the reason I call it the white hipster book club is because everyone else is white. And also um, they're so ridiculously good looking. <laughs> like every uh-huh. single person in this book club is like a fucking model. It's ridiculous. Oh wow! And I always feel inadequate when I'm around them. It's, it's you're not. I know I'm not. But oh, like, stop feeling like that. <laughs> I, I, I know. I know. It's yeah. just like a, a spike. Um, that you know, it's it's great. Like they're lovely people. But I'm glad I'm part of it because you know, otherwise I would not have come across Meg Mason. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's exactly the same. We're telling you know our listeners and also people who are pretty much. Um, stuck in one certain social group mm. as well. You know, you should just venture out and try yeah. new things and yeah, absolutely. meet other new people. Yeah, yeah. Listen to our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So is there any other books or movies that you'd like to mention before we head into a break? Subject, yeah, before we turn to our break. Um, no, let's, uh, let's take a really quick break, Helen, mm-hmm. and we'll yeah, be right sure. back. Hey guys, so we're back. So Helen, today Forbes has released their 100 most powerful women list. Mm-hmm. What yeah. is the first response when you hear that list? Well, I thought that it's pretty much going to be people that we know and we see every day on the news, yeah. like mm-hmm. people in politics and, mm-hmm. of course, from Forbes will mm-hmm. be like finance and uh, Wall Street. Yeah, exactly. Like business, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. So it's really interesting, these lists, because the word powerful really signals so much, isn't it, right? Yeah. Like, what does it mean to hold power in power, this world? Power, yeah. I guess according to Forbes, it's basically anyone who makes decisions that influence a lot of people, mm-hmm, right? Like mm-hmm. decision makers. Yes. Because, like, in my head, powerful is, like, someone who's powerful to me is, like, someone who makes me feel something. So in my world, Meg mm-hmm. Mason is very powerful because she made me feel extremely sad through mm-hmm. her writing, right? Yes. Um, and, um, who, like, Julia Jacqueline is a uh, Sydney-based artist, um, singer-songwriter, who is, in my world, super powerful because she makes me cry when I listen to mm-hmm. her music. Um, yeah. but, but according to Forbes, like, they're, they're measuring power in terms of women who have... Um, who are in positions that influence, yes. that make decisions that influence a lot of people. But other people, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. like actual livelihood of people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, Helen, do you want to guess who number one is on the list? Before you show me the list, I thought it was Camilla Harris, but apparently she's on number three this year. Yeah, yeah so the so... most powerful women, woman, according to Forbes, um, is again, I think she's topped the list before, Angela Merkel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Christine Lagarde is number two, um, followed by Kamala Harris. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and mm-hmm. then like the top f- ten people on the list, you know, we have Melinda Gates, Mary Barra, who's the CEO of, um, I believe, some car company, GM. There's Nancy Pelosi. There's Abigail Johnson. Um, uh, who else is in on the list? Like people might know of. Uh, Oprah Winfrey is probably the most famous person outside of the politicians. She mm-hmm. comes in at number 20. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sheryl Sandberg, um, you know, CFO of Facebook also made the list. Uh, yeah, but most of the lists are topped by women in the States um, and in Asia and Europe um, who work in finance policy and yeah. business. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, I see that the, the first Asian face I can see is number mm-hmm. 21, Jessica mm-hmm. Tan. So she's the what co-CEO, COO, CIO mm. of a health, healthcare and technology company called company, Ping yeah. An. Yeah. Oh, Ping An. So what's yeah. Ping An in, in Mandarin? What's it mean? I don't know the exact character, but Ping An is, I think, safety. Yeah, Ping An. Yeah. I've heard mum and dad safety. say that. Like, um, yeah. and Ping An, like they'll yeah. say, like, stay like safe, safety. travel safe. Yeah. 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 So she's, she came up on the number 21. Mm. Um, so she has a degree in engineering, engineering from MIT. Engineering, MIT. Yeah. So yeah. She's a lot of, a lot of these women US on the list educated. have, yeah, have studied yeah. in the US. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So again, this is a very Western list. perspective oh, totally. of yeah, oh, absolutely. powerful. Now, who who in who who do we want to focus on, Helen? Do you Our Taiwanese want to president. Talk about uh, Tsai Ing-wen. Yeah, and what yeah, number president did she come Tsai. out? She what was came. Number? She came. In... She came out in number thirty-seven on the list. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Here you go. So that's interesting. Gina Reinhardt, another famous face. She <laughs> um, Australian woman. She came famous. out. Um, came in at number forty-five. Hmm. Yeah, uh, there are quite a number of Chinese women on there. Uh, on I can the see list. a couple of Japanese. Yes, and there's an Indian lady at number forty-one, Namila Namala Men. Yeah, mm-hmm, so she's in mm-hmm. politics as well. Most of yep, them will yep. be in politics, finance, business. Yeah. Do you mention someone else that's in entertainment industry? Oh, Rihanna. Is... I think Rihanna came in yeah. at number sixty something. Yeah. Okay. Rihanna sixty-nine. Okay, yeah. uh-huh. Yeah, and there's also Beyonce. Beyonce, she's on 72. Oh, yes, yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
So mm-hmm. I mean, in your and and Ava DuVernay, um, the filmmaker, mm-hmm. um, she came in at number seventy nine. Okay. So in your yeah. world, Helen, who is the most powerful woman? Oh, I don't really like to. Which compare, woman? Which woman? To be honest, I think. It's hard to define what powerful is for individuals. Yeah, well, what does that mean to you? Influence-wise, I think for the past few years, this is a very Asian, I think, thinking, Mm. if I say this. I I feel like powerful to me is the achievement that they have done so far. I think Tsai Ing-wen is definitely one should be on the list um, for what she has done to bring democracy and also human rights in Taiwan. Mm. In Australia, I really... I don't know. I really have to think about it. It's definitely not people in business. Definitely not Gina Reinhardt. Yeah. Well, if I yeah, if I implement that kind of question upon myself, like who I find mm-hmm. is the most powerful woman, I know who. I I think w- what I see and feel when it comes to power is like who has the most influence right over me, mm. and I think yeah, um, that question then I ask myself like whose opinions do I care about the most. So mm-hmm. I'm going to take that question and pull it apart and ask myself a new question, which is um, which woman in my life has the most profound effect on how I move through the world? And definitely it's my mother, mm-hmm. right? Um, but mm-hmm. but also I don't listen to my mother. A lot of like a lot of things <laughs> that my mother says I don't do. Like my mother will say brush my hair or like wear yeah. socks that match. Which is and I'm like, fuck that to both of those things. Um, or like, um, yeah, she, she'll, you know, advise me on who to date. I just ignore her. Yeah, yeah. yeah but, but our parents is definitely the authoritative yeah, but like in our, our life. But um, her opinion I yeah. don't actually follow. The person whose mm-hmm. opinion I follow the most is probably like the person I love the most in and who whose opinion I just just kowtow to and genuflect to is my best friend um but he mm-hmm. is a man um but the woman yeah. who has the most power over me I think and who I love whose opinion I respect the most is my agent mm-hmm. yeah every time I talk mm-hmm. to my agent I just fucking adore her and everything she that comes out of that woman's mouth is just like mm. gold so I'm very wow. blessed to have uh-huh. someone like her in my life because she just really yeah. directs me and helps me in my career as a writer. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. I think everyone needs a mentor, yes. like you said. Yeah, I wouldn't, especially yeah, with girls. I wouldn't say she's like a mentor um, because she's not a writer herself, um, but she's like mm-hmm. a... Um, she, I, I feel like she's like... Um, she's like a family member to me. I really feel like she's oh, someone nice. who just looks out for me and has always really uh-huh. interesting ideas to share with me. Yeah. So, nice. yeah, we need, you yeah. You definitely need someone like that in your life, just someone who you have mm-hmm. the safe space to talk about what you want to talk about yeah, and allow you exactly. to grow. Uh-huh. And, yeah. yeah, always make you see things in a different light. That's what I love about her. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. I think it's it's slightly harder for age, like, <laughs> like Asian background kids because there's such a big clash between within our own yeah, culture yeah, exactly. and then the, the, the culture that we face every day on our bigger environment which is like a very western mm. um, thinking absolutely yeah. alright Helen should we launch into our discussion for this today this episode yeah so we want to talk about um, appropriation again on the culture uh, this came across to me because um, I encountered two scenarios on uh, Instagram, mm-hmm. something that just dislikes very much. Yeah, I hate it. Um, I think um, on the cultural spectrum, it's always difficult to consider one's action or behavior, if whether or not it's how you determine it's appropriation or appreciation. Like for some time now, like we have people debate over if yoga is the in the Western country has been appropriated because it has been like the type of exercise that has been highly gentrified. You see yoga has extended to a lot of merchandise that um at least for me i don't think there's really they don't really make a connection with indian culture like active ways and things like that um we can say that popularizing yoga is a benefit for overall citizens but um like thinking about the health benefits etc like however i've seen in the recent years a lot of business has taken the advantage to appropriate yoga making it hip and fusionalized with like alcohol drinking. Really? Like, have you, you? Yeah, you have. Have you seen? Have you heard like beer and yoga? Yeah. I and heard that. there's a distillery near our place is doing like gin and yoga. Gin and yoga. And I've heard <laughs> yoga with goats. 
I don't know. They just have little goats running around while, while you're, you're doing, doing yoga. yoga. Oh, that would be highly yeah. distracting, wouldn't it? Yeah, it's so strange. Also very cute though. Yeah, it would be very cute, but I, I don't know. Is that really from the Indian culture? Did they, <laughs> did they have yoga, no. goats running everything around? Is, but Helen, you live in a capitalist world. Yeah, People everything you have to make money. However they can. Yeah. Um, or even decorate with a yoga studio in a way that may consider offensive to the origin of the actual yoga yeah, totally. philosophy. I think you like mentioned Hindu, it. Buddhist yeah. statues and all that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's. Um, I feel like there's a such large area to discuss, but because we're mm. not from India, we, I mean, we do have like a similarity of Buddhism, which yeah, is yeah. slightly relatable. I just want to mention that there was uh, one post from uh, Instagram. Um, that I follow, Alisa Ho, she mentioned that a white so-called spiritual yoga, I think yoga establishment, the white person has been called out um, Mm -hmm. about some sort of kind of like offensive things that she did in her studio. Um, However, that I feel like whenever that a white person has been called out, that their privilege just shows when they're saying that they're apologizing, but they're really not apologizing. Like they're really mm. stubborn about their own entitlement and they just want to tell people to, yeah, if you don't like it, unfollow me. Yeah, right. And yeah. like calling the other people is just insensitive and they're not willing to listen to black indigenous people of colour pointing it out what they did wrong mm. and they will go far as saying that, oh, I've been to Asia, mm. you know, so this is what I learned, this is what I know, yeah. so stop being insensitive. I I just feel... Like the privilege and the entitlement certain people have just makes them, what's the word I'm trying to find? Just not not aware of what they did. Yeah. yeah. Well, that is inherently a, a condition of whiteness, right? It's yeah. narcissistic. It's yeah. inward looking. Oh, it's, yeah, that's um, true. Yeah. It, it's, it's being oblivious. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, what I find really harmful is um, the intentional um neglect to look at that oblivion yeah you know it's okay yeah, exactly. to be oblivious mm-hmm. but once you have someone call you out on it and then you decide no nah, i'm still going to be oblivious it's like mm-hmm. um active it's an active sense of ignorance um that i think is really what i find deeply deeply damaging deeply mm-hmm. harmful yes. and deeply insulting yeah 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 i agree with that um there was a scholar um of post-colonial and critical race and gender studies, um, Ramya S. Pocha, um, the scholar said that there's the terminology of cultural appropriation in itself is a way of dilating the fact that we are talking about racism and European colonisation. Um, mm. She goes on and saying that it determines what happened as only culturally inappropriate so as not to disrupt mass yoga marketing leading us to ask service-level questions like, I don't want to be culturally inappropriate, so how can I show the cultural appropriation, appreciation appropriately? Uh, um, she mentioned that it is not about appreciation versus appropriation. It's more about the understanding of the role of power and mm. the legacies of imperialism. I think power and imperialism comes in a lot of impact when we're talking Mm. about the current situation of culture in discussing appropriation and appreciation. Yeah, because you always come come down to power, like who gets the, who holds the microphone of talking about, you know, yeah, I get to decide what is popular, what is not popular, what is the mainstreaming follow and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, and what a lot of people miss, I think, is actually... going to the effort of reading about the history mm-hmm. of yep. what came before them. Yes. And that's what that's where a lot of people falter, I think, just um, not willing to do the work of researching. Yes. Mm-hmm. And when I say research, I basically mean reading. Yeah. You know, reading. There's so much, like you, there is no excuse for not knowing about history these days with the mm-hmm. internet, right? Yeah. With um, the in- entire world's collection of resources and um knowledge at literally at your fingertips um if you are not willing to put in the effort into like reading about the history of what you're engaging in i think that is just like i think personally 
Mm. I mean, some people can disagree, but I think personally it's a reflection of the kind of person you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and I'm not going to be friends with you or actually respect you if you're mm. going to do things that are like harmful and it's harmful and you have not put into you have not put in the hours and like respected a part of a, you know a, a part of the world where um it's a it's a place where you haven't like taken the time to like find out more about and you mm. just decided to like go into it and like do make decisions or like um decides what others yeah well format your company in a way that you know you think is um i guess what i'm saying is everything is you need to contextualize yourself Mm -hmm. like um a lot of people these days just can't be bothered Mm. like if you're opening up a new yoga studio to not be bothered to decide you know what the impact of like but going to a flower power store buying a buddha statue mm. putting it in the front of your yoga studio what that actually could mean, mean yeah. to some people yeah. you know yeah i think there's a lot to unpack when you call out someone's like inappropriate or insensitive or even like offensive behaviors you can like what you said you can truly tell how a person's response to such call out um whether or not that the person is willing to educate themselves to be more um with more empathy about certain issues mm. Or they just mm. simply don't care. Like they have such inherent and entitled mentality. It just shows that the power of these people has gained through the history that had taught mm. them nothing but continue to operate in the world with a sense of entitlement. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to go on and say that um, the other Instagram story that happened in recently was that, uh, about food appropriation. Remember that uh, a couple of episodes ago that we talked about food appropriation where there was a um, New York restaurant trying to establish the clean eating uh, yeah, Chinese, food Chinese food called Lucky yeah. Lee and they closed mm-hmm. down later. Well, recently, one of uh, the a British Chinese cook Instagrammer that I follow, Tiffany, um, she showed an incident of a British MasterChef contestant labeling herself Asian specialist. She's white, and oh my God. also that she calls um, that's so horrific. She calls Sorry. because she's Asian specialist, so she said that I'm a specialist for of dirty food. So she's what the essentially fuck does that mean? putting the um, labeling what do you call it the Asian food as Dirty. That was dirty. Yeah, dirty food yeah, refined. That was on her um, Instagram bio, but later that she removed because another Instagrammer called her out about this kind of expression that it's really harmful. You know, like we have this year with does that? COVID. Who the hell does that? <laughs> it's just where with COVID that like this year, like East East Asian communities as well as Chinese have been essentially been blamed for the pandemic and chastised. Mm-hmm dirty and she did came out this chef did came out and trying to clarify herself that they want to apologize but it doesn't sound like they were apologizing like at all yeah exactly. yeah she she says like, like she never called an asian food is dirty in a derogatory manner and it's like an indulgent of street food that comforts you in the going out for a like a dirty burger oh but God. It's just a lot of um, there's so-called the apologies from these white people. Yeah, is this a, this a further damage? Yeah, yeah. I I really think that um, the entire world, um, especially those in power, position of power, need to go on a crash course on how to apologize. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's an art form mm. to a good apology. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there really is. Yeah, I'm sure there's a six day workshop out there somewhere. <laughs> With meditation and vegan food involved. And I think that when you call yourself an Asian food specialist, I was just thinking, how dare you? Like, Asian food, there's over 40 different regions of Asia. It's like a cis-straight white dude calling himself the transgender expert or something. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. I don't know. It's just... Pretty incredible, some the audacity of some people. Yeah, it's the audacity. Yeah, yeah, true. I mean, the apology doesn't appear to be apologies. I just feel like they they sound like they're more gaslighting behaviors and very insincere, and you know, calling people of color that they're too insensitive and not to- taking, essentially not taking accountability of the harms mm-hmm. that they have caused, 
and not yeah, identifying yeah. the problems. Um, I know there will be a lot of people who are either white or people of color saying that it's just a very trivial thing to dispute or argue about. No, nothing think, is trivial. Um, That's the thing. Mm, mm. I think nothing is trivial. Little about things, being yeah, online. exactly. Yeah, um, little things add up. You know, that's why there's we call them microaggressions. Like if you don't care yeah. about it, you're essentially feeling you're essentially saying that you're okay. Other people being treated without respect. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um. Let's just let's take a break and we'll come back with our anti for the show. <laughs> yeah, we're just gonna give a few shout outs. Yeah. Um, to wrap up this episode. <laughs> So, hey guys, we're back. Helen, um, you wanted to mention a few call-outs and shout-outs and listeners who have sent in kind messages. Yeah, kind messages. And we've received a lovely package from Macho and Forest, uh, Mariko, the founder of Macho and Forest. Um, It's an online retailer um, selling 100% organic certified matcha powder. Um, This company is relatively new. it was opened in May this year, and we really want to support this newly established venture. Um, so for listeners who doesn't know, matcha is a green tea leaves that uh, stone grind into fine powder. Um, rather than just drinking like the tea made with soaked <laughs> tea leaves, matcha <laughs> is all by means that you the consumption of the whole green tea leaves. Um, the benefits of matcha includes like increase your immune support system, very important during the pandemic detoxification, improve your heart health as well as have a better skin condition, which I really need. Um, oh, well. <laughs> um, so the matcha and forest is matcha is sourced from Yuji Kyoto. It's 100% certified organic. Wow. The matcha is ceremonial grade. Like I had to look up the grading for matcha, which I didn't know previously. They have so, a grading? What yeah, they mean? have a great grading. So apparently the ceremonial grade matcha is made from the youngest tea leaves with all the steams and vines removed to obtain mm. a very smooth flavor and texture. Mm. And it's blend to be strong enough to simply whisk with hot water and drink straight straight away. Oh, nice. Um, it's the hard stuff, so-called pure and strong. <laughs> but, um, the company's... God, it sounds like a drug you're taking. <laughs> <laughs> the company's mission is uh, like both supplying the best products for the customers as well as maintaining a sustainability for the planet, which is very much aligned with our own values. Like, I'm very happy to come across with Matcha and Forest. Like... Super, super big shout out to Mariko for establishing this fantastic company. Like, Jesse, you know that I make a lot of dessert with green tea powder. Yeah, you do. Yeah, yeah. And it's not easy to find good quality ones and particularly right. ones with good flavors. Um, yeah, the ones, yeah. yeah, the ones I've tried in the past few years were very mild, like not strong mm-hmm. enough for the cakes that mm-hmm. I made. Like, I mm-hmm. absolutely love the packaging of the... Um, Matcha from Matcha and Forest. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not plastic bag with zip seals where most matcha brands do. Their powder is in like a 40 gram aluminium can, like I showed right, you earlier yeah. before we start recording, with a yep. pull ring. And once you open it, the lid can be screwed back on to keep the freshness of the powder. Mm-hmm. I just opened one of the sample sachets this morning to make a mug of um, green tea, and it smells really, really good. Smells divine. Mm. Um, you can really tell the differences when comparing the supermarket bought green tea. The the fragrance is just better, fresher, and the scent of the green tea leaves in your mouth is very pure. There's no bitterness, just a clean aftertaste. Yeah. Um, I think apart from making it like a drink, drink um, I'm looking forward to use this uh, matcha mm. to make chiffon cake. Nice, for our yeah. Christmas gatherings and those yeah. ice cream. And I, I'm th- just thinking Panna that Cotters. I might. Yeah. Panacottas would be great. Yeah. I, I'm just thinking that I might make like a fusion matcha uh, gingerbread for this year. For our... Oh, that yeah. sounds amazing, Helen. Yeah. yeah. Helen I mean... is the bomb in the kitchen. So <laughs> no, for all baking. The women in my... Yeah. Well, you are. You are. Like all my sisters and mother are like the bomb in the kitchen. I just like, I don't know. I mean, you, I love cooking. You, you're and baking, on the but, vegan. You're on the vegan side. Well, yeah, but also I don't like do it that much. Yeah, I, I don't know. Have a family yeah. to 
Think. I can't understand. Thank fucking God. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we're going to put a sh- the link on our show note this week. Cool. If you are yeah. interested, um, yeah, go and visit the Instagram and maybe get some matcha for Christmas. Yeah, yeah. It's a nice yeah. gift idea. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, before we go, I want to mention one of our listeners who sent a DM this week. Um, mm-hmm. Her name is Lilu, um, a.k.a. Lily, I think. She sent me a DM just thanking us for doing the podcast. Um, she actually shared. I don't know if you saw the. I sent no, you a I'm text. Never online. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the text. She shared her graduation video from the English language program. So mm. she was saying that um, she wants to thank us for just basically running this uh, podcast for her to learn English to get mm. used to the conversation, which I found very surprised because sometimes I feel like I stutter a lot when I'm talking. Well, no, and, you know. don't. And also <laughs> you should don't. Just don't judge yourself, okay? Just don't. Yeah. And yeah, congratulations to Lilu, you know, on the complete, yeah. completion of your English language program. It's such a yeah. heartwarming video to watch. And mm. we just wish you all the best of whatever you're doing yeah, in the future. Yeah, I know. It's such a huge achievement. Seriously. Yeah, exactly. Just, yeah, for, for people coming out from I know, non-English other, background. Speaking it just, of, yeah, it's incredibly difficult. I just, so, so massive. Like, if we were around you, we would be throwing a party yeah, for you. Yeah. yeah, so proud of you. And also, there's a listener's name, um, Susan, who's a jewelry designer in uh, Noosa. She shared our podcast on her Instagram as well. Yeah, it's so good. Like we're getting awesome. more followers and you know, mm, listeners. That's brilliant. Uh, yeah. Yeah, especially from rural parts of Australia. Yeah, cool. I wonder what kind of jewelry she designs. That's really interesting. You can have a look. <laughs> if you okay, ever yeah. go on to social if media. If I ever go online. Yeah. Yeah, maybe ask me in two years' time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's do a wrap up. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... Once again, thank you to our listeners. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Google, Apple, and we are now on Acast. If you enjoy our show, please give us a, our podcast a five-star rating and share with your friends. We are now with the um, Acast support, so if you like, please support our show by donating, um, like buy us a coffee or a chai latte. You can find our updates on Facebook and Instagram. Just search Asian Bitches Down Under. We welcome discussions and feedbacks. So that's the end of the show. And we'll catch you guys next week where we are itching towards Christmas. Inching. Sorry. I'm not itching. (laughs) I'm inching. Okay. Catch you next time. All right. bye. Bye.